continued prayer of our heart in the next few moments, Lord, that, that as you have already done this morning, you would show us your glory. Lord, the image that um, was in my head as we were singing that was you on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, that, that there was that moment where Peter, James, and John, they got to see what glory revealed really looks like. Um, but then as you were getting ready to depart, Lord, you said that, that you're not going to leave us as orphans, but, but that you're going to put a part of our glory or your glory into us in the power of your spirit. Lord, that your spirit is here in this place, that we are not only living in a physical world as physical beings, but we are spiritual and so what I want to pray that you would remind us that, that you came here to punch a hole in this world. That you might eventually lead us home, but in the meantime, that you are interactive in the here and now. That your spirit speaks. Lord, I pray with the words of Isaiah that we would hear a word behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. Lord, I pray all of this that we would walk out of here looking more like Jesus Christ because he is the glory. Lord, and I pray this in his majestic name and all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word of God. Romans 7, 1 through 14. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only to a person who is still living? Let me illustrate. When a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So this is the point. The law no longer holds you in its power because you died to its power when you died with Christ on the cross. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, you can produce good fruit, that is, good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died with Christ, and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can really serve God, not in the old way by obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way by the Spirit. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is evil? Of course not. The law is not sinful, but it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin took advantage of this law and aroused all kinds of forbidden desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. I felt fine when I did not understand what the law demanded. But when I learned the truth, I realized I had broken the law and was a sinner, doomed to die. So the good law, which was supposed to show me the way of life, instead gave me the death penalty. Sin took advantage of the law and fooled me. It took the good law and used it to make me guilty of death. But still, the law itself is holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my doom? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commandment for its own evil purposes. The law is good then. The trouble is not with the law, but with me, because I am sold into slavery with sin as my master. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Grab your Bibles and open up, um, open up to John chapter 18. We will be in Romans 7. The passage that Tom just read, thank you Tom, um, in just a minute, but um, I want to start in Roman, or in John chapter 18. The Gospel of John is about three quarters of the way through your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and it is the fourth of the Gospels there, and so just to the left of where we'll be in Romans, but I want to start in Romans, or in John, sorry, in John 18, and starting in verse 33, to set the scene where we've gotten in the Gospel of John is... Jesus has had his last supper. He's gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's prayed to his father three times to let the cup pass. He has been arrested. He has had a mock trial before the high priest. And now they have dragged him to Caiaphas, who is the Roman, or the Roman commander, because he is the only one who has the authority to actually execute somebody. And they bring him in before Caiaphas, and they say this, and I'm in verse 33 of John 18. 
So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called out to him and said, Are you the king of the Jews? Now see, in Pilate's world, there was really only the physical down here that mattered, and his idea was all earthly kingdoms. In other words, what he's asking Jesus is, Are you a king of some earthly kingdom that is going to try to conquer my kingdom? And Jesus says, Did you say this of your own accord, or did others say it about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? He's like, whoa, don't even go down that road, fella. Your own nation and your chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Now get this. Listen to the kingdom speak here. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. He's saying there is a kingdom conflict going on. So we keep going. Then Pilate said, so you are a king. You say that you, that you, you Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose is why I was is why I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, I want you to hang on to that kingdom talk for what we're going to be talking about here in a few minutes because, guys, remember, we are kingdom people. If you're here and you're saved, we are kingdom people meant to live by kingdom power, otherworldly supernatural power for that kingdom's glory, even though we still live here. That's what Romans 6 and 7 is about. Paul is talking in this, in this series that we're in, in, in the gospel according to Romans. He's telling us what the, what the gospel is. I've reviewed it several over the last couple of weeks. He gets to Romans 5 and he says, Therefore, because you've been justified by faith, by believing in the promise of God, you have peace with God. And now in Romans, and then in Romans 8, where we haven't gotten yet, he says, There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So he's like, Wait a minute, you have peace with God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But then he also realizes, hey, but the people I'm talking to, including the one that looks me in my shiny metal mirror every, every day, is, the, is we're, we're in a fight. I don't feel like I have peace, and I don't feel not condemned. So he takes chapters 6 and 7, and he's doing these, this little aside to make clear this is why we don't, Feel like we have been transferred into this kingdom. He's like, you have peace with God. You have been justified. You are in right standing with Christ. I, I, I'm going to remind you again in Romans 8 that you, there's no condemnation. But in the meantime, there's a war going on. And chapter 6 talked a lot about that. And, and, and Sean even mentioned it. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. He's talking about this whole war that's going on. Now, chapter we spent two weeks in chapter 6. Lord willing, we'll spend the next couple weeks in chapter 7. And what Paul is really going to push this little aside to is, let me tell you what this looks like personally. Like, like in my life and in your life. So it takes it out of theology, out of theory, and brings it like to shoe leather. Then he's going to get back to the theology a little bit later. Now look at verse 38. Here is the question the world is asking. Pilate said, what is truth? And after he said this to them, he went back outside to the Jews and he said, I find no guilt in this man. The question, what is truth, is the question the world is asking. But it's always been so. And that leads us to our first talking points question. So our first talking points question is on the back of your bulletin insert. And I'm going to be needing participation at least for a couple of these questions today. And so um, on, a, on a lot of different levels, remember, we are a church that doesn't just come here to spectate. We come here to be engaged. And so I, want, I, I need your help today. So the first question is, why is, there, why is there a war on truth? And then I would add to that maybe, and how do we see that war playing out in our culture? So why is there a war on, tr on truth? I'm asking. Okay, the enemy wants it. Because he's the father of lies. So you, you, that's one of the titles given to Satan in the Bible, for those of you that don't know. Right? He is the, as the father of lies, his whole thing is I'm going to take God's truth and I'm going to morph it. I'm not going to necessarily deny the whole thing. There are times where he does that. But his best strategy is I'm going to take a, a little bit of God's truth, and I'm going to wrap it up in a great big lie, and it's going to look attractive. Okay, what, why else? Or how else? Because the, re the revelation of truth will always lead eventually to the author of truth. 
Because the, as Scott said, the revelation of truth will always lead to the author of truth. So there's sort of the why behind why the enemy hates the truth. Right? He's trying to keep us out of that light. Guys, remember, Romans, this is part of why we're in Romans. Romans 1, 25 and 26 gives us the answer to why there's a war. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they began to worship the created thing, themselves, and the world, rather than the one who created it. Now, now Genesis 3 reminds us of how, like, where that started. Do you remember how Satan slithers up to Eve in, in the scene that we actually get recorded? I think he'd had a conversation with her before. But do you remember the question he asked her? Did God really say? And she's like, yeah, he did. She wasn't there when he said it because Adam was there, but she knew, right? She, she, yeah, he did say. And then, and then he asked, then he moves on with another, so she doesn't bite that lie. Yes, God did say it. Then she says, yeah, but, do you, but is it really, what he said really true? He said, no, the, the real reason he doesn't want you to eat that fruit is because he knows you'll be like him. And don't you really want to be like him, Eve? Don't you really want to be like him, Adam, who was standing right next to her? And what they should have said is, we already are. We are made in the image of God. But they didn't because he took, a, he took God's truth and he wrapped it in a lie. And, they took a, and that, guys, that has been going on in our, in our world from that point forward. That is the problem that we have. Why? Because the same thing that made Satan fall from Lucifer to Satan is pride. And then ultimately our pride leads to our shame, which Satan uses both of those things. The, the way he messes with us the most is in our pride and in our shame. And we talked a lot about shame last week and had a powerful time of response, which by the way, if you, if you put a card up there and you're like, what happened to it? Well, I took pictures of it and I posted it on Instagram. Just kidding. Uh, um, what I did, I don't know, hopefully this won't give us feedback, but what we do with those cards, I don't read them, I, don't, I just take them, I took them out, I prayed over them, and then we burned them, and this is what's left. Right? This is what annihilation of sin looks like. This is what the gospel does, according to Colossians chapter 2. That's just a little aside, but ultimately, we have to deal with our junk, deal with our pride, deal with our shame, because it's not just those people that struggle with it, so do we. So here, the, the question, to, so we're, we're going to be talking about God's truth today, but in a slightly different context, because it's what we're, I'm going to let Paul lead the conversation, but, but I want to start by the, how do we know right and wrong? Like, how, like we are adrift, guys. We are adrift in this self-definition world. And, that's, and again, that's been true forever because the minute you unhinge yourself from absolute truth that is outside of yourself, and by yourself, I don't just mean you personally, I mean humanity, then you run the risk of, of, of going astray. And in fact, you will end up going astray. It's just the way it is. Guys, here's the, here's the best picture of it, just a tangible example. Jesus is walking on the water towards the apostles, towards the disciples. One of them, in the middle of a storm, one of them is at least brave enough to go, hey, or, or if you know Peter, like just whatever, arrogant enough or something enough to go, hey, if it's you, Jesus, call me out and I will walk on the water to you. And he starts walking out on the water and he's like, wow. Like, guys, that's the truth. The truth of, like, the truth, Jesus Christ calls him out of the boat. And because the truth is the one that called him out, he's able to do it. But then do you remember what he says? It's the Bible. It says, seeing the waves, seeing the wind or the waves, seeing the storm of this world, he got his eyes off of Christ and he starts to drown. And do you remember what Jesus does? He reaches up and he pulls him back up and he sets him on the water and they walk back to the boat together and he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt my truth? Guys, Faith, get this, our faith, write this down, our faith is the battlefield where the word and the world wage war for our will. Faith is a battlefield. Your faith, at mo and I mean, I don't just mean do I believe in Christianity, I mean moment by moment. When you have a situation in front of you where you're like, okay, I, I believe God's word says this, but I want that, that moment is the war. That moment is the, is the battlefield where the word of God and the world 
is, to, is trying to take control of your will. And the question becomes, which one are we going to step towards? Or in my picture that I've, and I'm going to use this a lot today, there's, two, there's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world where Satan is currently the one roaming around. Right, him and his demons, the ruler of this world, the Bible says. There's that kingdom, and then there's the kingdom of God that's ruled by Christ, ruled and reigned by Christ. And someday those two kingdoms are going to come together, and, his, and, and Satan's kingdom will be gone because we will have a new heaven and a new earth. But in the meantime, we are a people stuck between the two kingdoms as believers in Christ. We have been partially transferred but we are also down here. And that's ultimately a really long introduction because for exactly what Paul is trying to transition us into in Romans chapter 7. What we're going to talk about today is rules that reign. In Romans 7, 1 through 14, Lord willing, we'll pick it back up in verse 14 next week and finish the chapter. And my hope is, guys, that you will get a new appreciation. Now, now, before you go, okay, here's another message about the Word. And so we're going to hear about how important it is to be in the Word of God every day. and all. Guys, none of that's in this message. I believe it. But that's not, what, that's not where Paul goes. So it's not where I'm going. What, I, I, what I'm hoping is this message helps you understand exactly why and have a new appreciation for exactly why God took such painstaking care to give us his Word and his Holy Spirit. Because we need it. As supernatural beings, we need supernatural answers. And the Spirit isn't the only... The Word is too. So what we're going to look at today is, what is biblical truth? Not just truth, what is biblical truth? And we're going to see him say, it defines our relationship with God. It guides us to God. And it also um, empowers us. It, by the, it is empowered by the Spirit of God. So we're, go back, so we're in Romans. I left you and John. We're in Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. And we're going to look at how the word, the, the point Paul is making, is that the, is that the word of God, and in, in his vernacular right now at this point in human history, around the late 50s AD, the word he's referring to is the Old Testament. And he's, saying the, and he's, and he's given us a reason why God gave us the Old Testament. And the first part of the reason is because it defines our relationship. Otherwise, we wouldn't know how to relate to God. And he says, it says this, Or did you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who are of the law, that the law is binding only on a person as long as he lives. Guys, don't just think, when you, th when you hear lives as a, as a believer, don't just think physically alive. Think spiritually as well. Think about your new identity in Christ. Right, like, like as long as you're alive in your identity, in your true, full identity of Christ. From, and then he's going to use an example. This whole, th this whole thing about a married woman is just an example because he's trying to make this theology real. He's like, for example, a married woman is bound to in law to her husband while, she, while he's alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is still alive. But if the husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Here's, here's what that practically looks like for us, to take it out of the adultery. And here's what it looks like. If you say that you're a Christian, but you are bound by rule keeping. In other words, I have to do right in order to be right with God. Or I project that binding onto other people. You are an adulteress. That, that is because that's exactly what the Roman, the, the church in Rome was doing. That's what Paul was addressing. He's like the Jews that were in Rome that had been converted into Christianity are trying to get the other Jew, the other Christians to obey the law. And he's like, don't you know that if you if you tell people they have to obey the rules, you are committing adultery. And and, I, and guys, as a pastor with kids in the room in particular, saying something like, if you tell people they have to obey the rules. Yeah, like, 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 that's a scary place. I, and, and I've talked a lot about, and we'll get there again, it's not about, it's the, the, the issue isn't your behavior, the issue is your motivation. Is it a have to or a want to, right? And you'll hear that a lot as we go along today, even, even from Paul. So keep going. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. So he's saying, look at that, you've died. Guys, when he says died to the law, that's his way of saying, you no longer have need of keeping the law, of doing the stuff. Through the body of, not, not because of anything you did, but because of Christ. He says, so that you may belong to another. 
So your old husband, the law, died, and now you're married to a new husband, that is Christ, who has been raised from the dead, now get this, in order that you may bear fruit from God. Don't miss that. Your salvation is on purpose, for a purpose, and that purpose, guys, under, listen up, one, two, three eyes on me, everybody on me, your purpose, and God's purpose in your salvation is not your comfort, it is not that you would live your best life now, it is not that every moment of your life would be full of joy, it is not that you would be released from... Guys, the invitation to come to Christ and be a part of his kingdom is an invitation into... He's like, welcome to the war, folks. So we should not be shocked when we're Christians that we're in a fight with the enemy. That, that, that should not... Our fight should not define us. It should just be like, thank you, Jesus. Literally, thank you, Jesus. That, 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 that it is, the fact that I'm in a war is proof... That, I'm, that I've been partially transferred. Guys, when I was an atheist down here, I, I wasn't in the fight. I wasn't in the war. Because I was down here. There's no, Satan's not warring with these people. They're his people. He's warring with the ones that have been transferred. So, so praise God for that. It's, I get That's hard. I get it. I, it just That's what he's telling us. He's like, you, you, the, the goal is f- so that you'll pr- produce fruit not so that your life will be better. For while we are living in the flesh and our sinful passions aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now look at this. Now that we are released, now that we are released from the law, that was, that's in the passive, it means God has released you, having died to that which you are captive, so we are to serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way. Guys, this is why Jesus taught so many of the parables that he taught to the Pharisees because they were so busy trying to live the life God had called them to in their strength by rule keeping. So he shares all these parables that we've done at different times and we did, them in, uh, we did a lot of them in the, um, in the God space study that we just finished this summer. But, but understand, like, like ultimately his point is the point he makes in one of the passages we looked at, John 4. God is spirit and, and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's saying it's, it's got to be both, guys. He's like, you, you have got to be in the new way of the Spirit, not the old way of just keeping the rules. He's trying to pull back. He's, he's going back to the conversation he had in Romans 6. So in Romans 6, 11, he says, For you, were, you need to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Don't let sin reign in your body. And I talked about that and how it's like we are made as weapons. If you're saved, you are made as a weapon to be held into the hands of your Redeemer, to be used for his glory. So don't submit your weapon to sinfulness, which is this stuff down here, the flesh stuff. He's like, do, like, do battle here. And then he goes on to finish that, that section. Paul is pulling that theological conversation forward to a very practical place. Look at your second talking points question. Because really what the, the simple way, before you, before you get to the question, the simple way, right, when your have to becomes a get to, you know you, want to. Guys, we're going to memorize this right now. I'm, I'm, I don't care if we have to be here till 1.30, so just do it quick and we'll be good. When my, it's not on the screen, so it's, can you take that off the screen real quick? Sorry. Um, it's my fault. When your have to becomes a get to, you know you want to for the right reason. So when my, when I, instead of going, I have to get up and go to church, I have to read my Bible, I have to be nice to my neighbor, I have to, when that becomes I, and I get to, I know I want to. One more time. When my have to becomes a get to, I know I want to for the right reason. And that's love, an overflow of love for Christ. Out of, out of an overflow of our presence with Christ and his presence with us. Now, on to the second talking points question. And I'm going to have you guys talk amongst yourselves about this and then get feedback from everybody. Guys, if the truth of God's word, so the, the point we're looking at is that it defines our relationship with Christ. The tr- God's word, part of its use, is it, it's defining our relationship with Christ. If that's true, so God's word defines how you relate to Christ. Here's the question. Is your relationship with God performance-oriented? Is your relationship with God performance-oriented? And I know that's a tough one because it is for me. It's a huge struggle for mine. I've told you before, my, the first verse I ever memorized 
I, I, don't, I don't think I was a believer yet. I was, in fact, I know I wasn't. Luke 12, 48, for, those, for unto whom much has been given, much is required. Why? Because it, it fit right in. It fit right into my need to be performance-oriented to God. Okay, so God, since you've given me much, you're requiring much from me, so I better get busy about giving it. Right? So is your life, is your walk with the Lord performance-oriented? I want you to take a couple of minutes and just turn to the people you're sitting with next to at your table, and I just want a few people to just be honest. Is it or is it not? Why? And then I'm going to ask for a couple of people to share. Go. Okay, uh, I, I know you could probably talk with, um, but just in the interest of time, I just want to ask, so a couple people just, like, was there something that in, in your conversation that was like, wow, this was, this was definitely worth edifying everybody with it? So somebody want to share something? Nobody wants to be brave enough? Scott, thank you. So, so, th- so, so if, you could, if you in the back here, you could hear Scott. So he's saying sometimes because sometimes I'm like, you know what? I know I'm supposed to do X, Y, or Z. I, I, I should be. We were just prayed for all the different ministry teams. I, I should be serving in this ministry Christ has called me to, or I should. Be, but, but then he goes, but I know. And here's what's interesting. This is exactly what Paul is going to talk about in next week's part of Romans. He's like, in my mind, I know. And then I just get to this like place, because, why? Because the enemy messes with our flesh and starts to make you feel either prideful or shameful, right? And so, and he's, and so even Paul's like, I know what I'm supposed to do, and yet I don't do it. Why? Because I'm a person stuck in two kingdoms. Somebody else. Scott. When I was young, I had a reading disability and I felt very stupid. So I, as a pattern of behavior, I started doing things to show that I had value. And that became a way of life for me. But when God got a hold of me, he began to unwire and undo that lie. Because I had to know that I had intrinsic value through the blood of Jesus. There was no me trying to prove my worth to God. He says, no, I've already made you in my image, and I've redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you've been bought and paid for through my blood, and you are my prized possession. You are my child. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. So do you see, do you see like, what I appreciate about Scott's example and why I, I do think it was, and I'm sure there are many others, why it's worth like sharing with everybody is not only so it was a physical like there was something going on whether it was just like something in this in this physical world the brokenness of this world he had a learning disability then that creates a part of his emotional trauma in because we are also emotional we're soulish beings we have a mind will and emotion 
that then, that then creates a scar for him. I feel stupid. I feel, oh, sorry, that's a bad word. I feel not very smart. I feel like whatever, those kinds of, right? And, and then, oh, by the way, the enemy slithers up, and he's just so happy to keep pushing that button for Scott all the time and going, hey, do you, do you remember that? Remember that pain? Remember that pain? You better prove yourself to God. You better prove yourself to God. And, and it isn't until, and that's a process of, of being released from all those levels, fit, like learning how to cope better physically, dealing with that emotional baggage, and then also dealing with the lies of the enemy and going, no, wait a minute, I have been redefined, right? I have been, like that was Peter's biggest problem. Honestly, the reason Jesus shows up, and this is not my notes, the reason Jesus shows up to Peter in John 21 and asks him the question three times and everything is, is because he knows, man, you have so much emotional baggage, brother. Because all the not-so-smart things that you did and said to me while we were together, the I know my, remember he says, Peter, the enemy has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And he's like, the wheat sifting is going to look like this. Hey, Peter, do you remember when? And Jesus is like, man, we got to put this to death today. Right? And so, it t- so we are tri- we're going to hear this at the end, too. We're trichotomous beings. You're going to hear it next week because it's Paul's struggle. And, yet, and so we have to deal with all three of those things. So that leads us to our second point. So if we're looking at what is biblical truth, it defines our relationship with God. So how we relate to God. The Old Testament survey class is going to talk about this in great detail. Starts in a few weeks. Deadline to sign up is a week from today. Email me if you want to get in. But part of the beauty of that class is it shows us, so, so what's with all this, the law then? Like why are we just, like we don't just, because we don't want to just throw it away. We teach from the Old Testament a lot on purpose. So there's real beauty and truth in it. We just have to know it. I mean, we just have to know like, how to see it in there, not as a list of, morale, of moral rules to do. And then it guides us. The, word, the other thing is, and this is a biggie that Paul, the point Paul's making, is it guides us to Christ. It shows us our need. So the, so the second point is that the word of God is, the, the biblical truth shows us our need for a savior. So look at verse um, seven. What then shall we say? That the law is sin or bad, and he's asking a rhetorical question. He gives the strongest no emphasis he could give in the Greek. By no means, he asks this question multiple times throughout. He does this multiple times throughout the letter of Romans. So he's like, is the law bad? By no means. Yet had, <coughs> sorry, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what, was, what it was to covet. Now, now don't get lost in, just like, just like we didn't want to get lost in adultery in that first section, don't get lost in covetousness here. He's just using it as an example. He could have listed any of the commandments. He could have listed any of the rules. He's just using it as an example. He's like, I would not have known what it was like to covet had the law not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. And then he's like, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. So here's what he's ultimately saying there. I was coveting all kinds of stuff before I understood that God said don't covet. I just didn't think it was bad. Guys, I was living incredibly this worldly prior to Christ in my, in my teens and 20s. I've shared some of that before. I'm sure it will come up again. That's not what today's about. When, I came to, when God brought me to faith, when, I, when, when he buckled my knees to Christ, I, ca- I wish I could say immediately all of those sinful behaviors went away. They didn't. I was still going out and doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing and treating people the way I shouldn't have been treating them. And, but you know what I started feeling for the first time in my whole life? Conviction. Not guilt. Conviction. Ouch. I know I'm not supposed to do that. Right? That was the Holy Spirit that was the spiritual part of me, because I, I had no spiritual part of me before. I was stone cold dead. He brought me to life, and now it's like, okay, so now I'm in the war. And praise God for that, right? Praise God for those moments of conviction, because they prove you're alive. Now it says, um, we'll keep going, sorry, um, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So he's like, it pointed out to me the things I was doing wrong. The very commandment that promised life proved death to me. This is what made Paul the perfect person. 
you know the history of Paul, we talked about it a little bit early in the, in the series. He was, because he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the rule keeper of rule keepers. He was like, he was, man, what God's word says, I'm doing, that's all there is to it. And now, as now he realizes that was never true. And it's what makes him such the perfect person to preach grace. Because he's like, man, I know exactly who I am apart from Jesus Christ. I'm not pretty good and just needed a little help. Because I'll let you know a little secret. And the young people that are in the room and you're being raised in families where maybe you've heard about Jesus your whole life, you are not pretty good and you don't need a little help. You are totally depraved and you need Jesus. And people that say that that's not true about humanity have never had children. That's just the reality. I did not have to teach any of these three beautiful women that you all thank you for praying for them. I did not have to teach them to sin. They came out little sinners. There is no greater sinner in the world than the newborn child. It's true. You're like, wait a minute, that can't be true. You know, why? Because if sin, if by definition sin is idolatry, it's, it's turning from God to me. Is there any more selfish person in all of humanity than a newborn child? It's all, their whole world is them. That's, sadly, most of us spend half of our Christian walk in that space. And, and Paul even talks about that in other letters, but I digress and I gotta get back to my notes. So, look at verse 11. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Guys, think about it this way. If you want to, you can keep your finger here. Romans, Romans 3, Romans 3, 21 through 23. Paul's pulling this conversation forward again. He's saying, so the, con- the conversation he was having about what the gospel is, he says in verse 21 of chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. He's saying, so apart from God's rules, the ma- it has been manifest, although the law and the prophets bore witness to it. Again, you'll learn about that in the Old Testament class. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. Now get this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all, by implication, are justified. All who are justified are justified. All who are justified are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now he goes on, and I won't have you turn there, it's one of your readings this week, he goes on in Galatians chapter 3 to talk about um, this whole idea of, of what is the law supposed to be about. He's, and he says in Galatians 3, the law is your tutor, Some ESV translates it guide, I don't like that so much, because the word is actually pedagogy. What does that word mean? What, are we, what is pedagogy, what is that? The pedagogy is what? I have teachers in my family and they don't know. You're, you're, that's you. You're a teacher. Pedagogy is, this, is like teaching. Right? It's, it's, it's the discipline of teaching. And so he's saying, he's saying, the law is your teacher. Why? To lead you to Christ. To lead you to your need. The, and, and, he go, and, and the way it does that is it defines what holiness is. Guys, the reason, the reason Romans 3.23 is true, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is two reasons. One, we are broken. We're a part of this brokenness. We inherited it from Adam. Two, well, three reasons. Two, we rebel. We partner in that brokenness because, we want to, because of the brokenness, we want to be God. And three, God is just that good. Right? He is just that much more glorious than us. So it isn't just about how bad we are. It's about how good God is. Now, now Paul in Romans is saying, you, we wouldn't know any of that. Had the law not said, hey, we need, like, like we need to recognize this is what God was, God was trying to show us through the law. That the promise of Abraham, the promise was, Abraham, through your offspring, all the world will be blessed. That was the promise of the coming Messiah. Then the law comes through Moses. And, there were, and Paul's like, what's with, what, what's with that? And he says, here's what's with that. You, you are not going to really understand the beauty of the promise unless you really understand just how much you cannot worship God the way he deserves to be worshipped. And, and that, that is ultimately where Paul lands here. And he's setting the stage for us to, to, to recognize why am, like, why am I in this wrestle? Like, why am I... Um, how did I write it down? Um... Why is, 
why is the world struggling so much with the truth of God's word? Because we're talking about what is biblical truth. Why is the world struggling with, with this whole idea of, of absolute truth, whether it's biblical truth or not? It's because we all want to be self-defining. Guys, like old, and we are, guys, the world, get this, the world is awash now, more than ever, because of social media and the ability to share ideas and stuff. The world is awash in self-definition. Take a look at your last talking points question. It, um, I probably won't at, open it up to discussion, but it will be, I, I hope it will be an interesting discussion in your brain. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I mentioned, I'm not going to quote, but I mentioned a couple of books. If you're interested in this, there's, there's an author who, I, I mentioned the book way back when we were in the little, in the little kitchen area. Um, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. Um, that, that book in particular, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and then um, he made an updated, simpler version. It's still not easy, but it's way shorter and way simpler, called Strange New World. And what he basically is saying is, what ultimately happened all the way back in human history, he starts in Genesis and he works his way through, is we have constantly been drifting, our, drifting away from the truth of God's word because we want to be self-defining. And that self-defining has just looked different throughout the eons. But all of it has been a tool of the enemy. And where we are now is all of these things are starting to come together. So when it says, why is the world so lost, so far from God? Because we have become awash in our own definitions. Defining self is nothing new. Guys, that's ultimately what Adam and Eve were trying to do in the garden. Like what we see happening right now in our culture with, with, the, with you know, redefinition of marriage or redefinition of gender and rede- all the, guys, that is nothing new. All of that is just the same issue that happened in the garden. He, he, Satan was getting them to try to redefine themselves. But guys, it is damning. How can we help people in, who have, in their inherited brokenness of the UBU, how can we help them see that this UBU thing just doesn't work? Guys, we are not self-defining. I mean, no human being is self-defining. God has defined us. We are made in his image. That image is marred. And apart from Christ, we are sinners in need of a savior. That's the identification. That is the image. But we all practice self-imagery. Guys, we all, even, even as believers, we practice this. We, because you know what? I'm, I'm scorekeeping with you guys, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, like, am I, is my family doing better than this family? Are we not watching these movies, but they are watching these movies? Are we listening to this stuff, but they're not? Are we, you know, and, and it's amazing how fast we can justify ourselves. Right? It's amazing how fast we can take secondary and tertiary issues that are not the gospel and make them the gospel. One of the things, I'll just give it as an example because we were homeschool freaks and I just say were because they've all graduated, but one of the things fairly early in our church was we had a few people that are no longer with us that would say things like, if you are not homeschooling your children, you are not really following Christ. And I'm like, "Ah!" that is not the gospel. Paul does not tell us in Romans 10, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and homeschool, and you will be saved. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Right? Now, but, but I just, I'm using that as a safe example, but guys, here's a couple, because here's what is happening, and here's why it's worth talking about today. Why, it's why I want to take the time to share this. Because ha- here's how we can enter into the space and help people see why the truth of God's word matters. Because what happens when people start self-defining is those definitions start to collide. They come into conflict. I'll just give you two examples. It's not about these examples. I'm not, I've shared stuff about both of these. Here's two examples. Darwinism. What is the whole thing about Darwinism? Survival of the fittest. The strong survive. Critical race theory. Again, I'm not talking about either one of these and what's good and what's bad. I'm just saying, what is the issue of critical race theory? oppressors, the strong are bad. Those two completely worldly ways of thinking are colliding in our culture today. Because what Darwin said was, the strong survive. And what CRT is saying is, the strong are evil. Well, which one is it? Here's another one. Here's another one. Feminism. First wave feminism, gave women the right to vote. I think that's a pretty good thing. Second wave feminism was more like the Title IX, sports, those kinds of things. But now, those things... That feminists, liberal, worldly, that some of them were, right, pushed so hard for is being pushed back against because why? 
Because the transgender people are saying there's no such thing as women. So how can you have a women's college or a women's swim team or a women's anything if there's no such thing as women? Now, now again, this isn't about transgenderism. This isn't about um, feminism. This is about how do you see what happens when you unhitch yourself from what real truth outside of yourself is, it makes a mess. That's what I mean by how God's word is what guides us to our need for him. And what's ha- all that's happening is they're just, the, the pace that we are redefining is getting more rapid because the areas of collision are getting more and more. So this area of collision shows up and they're false thinking and they're like, we gotta fix this. Here's a new definition, right? And, and what we need to do to enter into that space, that, that was way longer than I wanted to spend on that, but I think it's important with what's going on in our culture. Guys, what we need to do as Christians is we need to enter into that space and not bash them about why their worldly system is wrong, but do two things. One, show them how God's way is better. Part of what, what Carrie and I are praying about with this marriage conference isn't, isn't that we would be, get, get up there and talk about how um, gay marriage is wrong, but just be able, but to be able to strengthen Christian marriages to be better to show people a better way, right? And then the second thing would be to enter into the space by going, can I ask you how that's working for you? Like, how, how are we doing with that, that way of thinking? Because, man, for me, if I know if I was left to myself to just, think, to just make up my own definition of who I am, I know me, and I made a mess of my life. Let me tell you about the one I've come to find out defined me, right? Like, that's the approach we need to be taking as God's people, that we need to be helping people get better at defining themselves. So here's the last thing. So how do we do that? Here's the last point, and, and, and it will go fairly quickly, I hope. So what is biblical truth? It defines our relationship with God. It guides us to God, and it is powered by the Spirit of God. And here really is the part of this passage, and we're going to pick it up in this verse next week, so I'm not too worried about finishing the thought. I just want to sort of plant the seed this morning about this idea that it is empowered by the Spirit of God. Because, guys, we're a people that absolutely... 2 Timothy 3.16 says what? I just want to prove that somebody knows this. 2 Timothy 3.16 says what? All Scripture is inspired by God. Right? Profitable for training, reproof, and correction. Our Hebrews 4.12 says what? The word of God is living it. Like we, we know those verses and we preach those verses. We don't really live like they're true. We don't. What I mean by that is we believe that it was inspired to Paul back then. We don't believe that it is still illuminating our lives supernaturally today. There's no longer inspiration of new scripture, but there is illumination of the spirit of God. And that's what Paul says. So look at what he says in verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous. Did that which is good, he's asking the same question, the rhetorical question, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through that which was good. In order that, so here it is, in order that to show sin to be um, sinful beyond measure. So he's saying the point of the law, he's just, he's just reiterating that last point, the point of the law is that it points out just how bad we are, just how much we need Jesus. Now get this, four, verse 14, four, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Guys, do you, do you understand that, that about five years before he writes this letter in Romans, he writes 1 Corinthians and he says, for the natural man, the unsaved man, the man that Doug was before, the man that you are if you're not saved, then that man cannot understand this because it is spiritually appraised. It is spiritually discerned. Right? He's saying, but, but we, and we know that verse, but we never ask, why is that true? The answer is because this word is spiritual. He said so right here. The word is spiritual. Now, why is that such a big deal? Guys, here's why. Because we are a people stuck between kingdoms. He says to the woman at the well, God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And guys, his word and the Holy Spirit are the things he leaves here. Think of it like a compass. A a physical compass helps guide us in this physical world. This is our spiritual compass because it is spiritual. It is one of the only, what do I say here? There are only two things down here that will last for all of eternity and they are what? 
the word of God and the souls of people. And do you understand that this is exactly why this will last for eternity? Because it's spiritual. It's not physical. It, it is what he has left us here to navigate that space between. So we better, one, know it, right? And not just to know it, to obey it, but we better know it to know him. Guys, the morality will come when the presence with Christ is happening. You cannot, I cannot, like, like in a moment, be walking with Christ and sinning. I can't. So the more we're walking with Christ, and the more we see Christ walking with us, the less sinning we'll do. But we tend to go, stop sinning so that you can walk with Christ. No, just walk with Christ and watch and see what he does. Guys, we are, I'm going to have, um, we're going we're gonna to go into our time of communion. We're going to do it as couples. Because, because ultimately what we celebrate, so couples means we have a couple staged around the room, um, and then we'll finish in a couple of songs. But, but guys, if you need prayer, ask those couples to pray for you. Um, if, you, just, if, you need, um, if you need to talk afterwards, go say, hey, can we just hang out afterwards and talk? I want to encourage you guys a, a little bit, I know this is testing people, um, to not make your groups that take communion so big. Like, it's, it's a good thing to invite other people into your circle to take the communion. It's a whole other thing when it becomes like 40 people and the person leading communion is shouting like what the thing is. Like we want, we want to provide an opportunity for people to ask for prayer if they need it, right? So, so, so figure, you'll figure that out. The Holy Spirit will help you with that. But guys, what we're celebrating at communion is, is we are acknowledging that we are a people stuck between the kingdoms. We are taking a physical bread and a physical piece of wine and it is pointing us to the spiritual. Right? It is pointing us to the fact that the kingdom came, the king came and he has, he has already redeemed us and he is coming again. It's why, it's why he says, as long as you take this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming my death, my redemption, until when? Until, you, until I return. Until I punch a hole again in that kingdom and come down here and make everything new. But guys, in the meantime, as we celebrate communion, I, I really want you to dwell on this this week. We are trichotomous beings. We are physical. We are emotional. We have a soul, body, like mind, will, and emotion. And we are spirit. And, and guys, if there's any people on the planet that needs to be treating all three levels for people, need to be helping others, it's the church. Because who else is gonna? Guys, the doctor, as, as much as I'm a big fan of doctors, isn't gonna treat my spiritual issue. The counselor, as much as I love the counselor I'm married to, is not going to, is not here to specifically address my spiritual issue or my physical issue. The church is meant in the multifaceted mess that is the glory of Christ, is meant to address all three of those things. We're here to help people with their physical needs. We're here to help people with their emotional baggage. And we're here to remind people that they can and are, if they're already his, they are completely redeemed and will someday be restored. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you right now and I pray as, as um, we get ready to take communion, as we get ready to, to, to practice withness in, a, in probably the most tangible way we will all week, that it wouldn't just be a moment here, but it, that we would carry that moment with us because you're going with us. That we would be reminded that our withness is probably the most important thing that we can have because you have given us any, everything we need. As followers of you, as, as born again, born of spirit, as born-again believers, you have given us everything we need to navigate the space between. The space between this physical kingdom here and the spiritual kingdom there. And, and that is your supernatural word and your Holy Spirit. And so Lord, I want to pray that we would be a people that would grab a hold of both, slam them together, and recognize that in those moments that we're doing that, we are never closer to you in this broken world. In Jesus' name, amen.